Why do you do this? Somebody has to punish the corrupt. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew, 7-2. I'm okay with that. God be with you, Frank. Sometimes I'd like to get my hands on God. Chris Galza here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First Run, Matt, it's all about family. The always expanding death meaning nothing and neither does physics cinematic exploration of family. It's Fast X. This time Dom and the fam are haunted by the consequences of a prior adventure. Consequences that, Matt, we had no prior knowledge of. Like, you know, Dom's brother from the last film. Has the tortellini, is that it? The torta, it's, has the family... Finally had one too many extravagant adventures, Matt. Have we finally, finally, Matt, though, or or let's say it this way. Have we found Aristotle's elusive philosophical balance? The Heist Marathon also continues with Michael Mann's directorial debut with Heist, featuring James Caan as Master Thief, who just may be in over his head just a little bit. But then, you know... That's what happens every time you seem to go after that one last big score. At least cinematically, that's been my experience. There's the scrumptious rundown of the big releases on physical media featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to close out the big show with another exemplary rundown of our, well, I guess it's top five. But it's going to be our five favorite movie families. But let's start everything off with a clip from Fast X. Not like the adult, inappropriate version. Like, you know, this is not Fast X. Just Fast It's it's the 10th film in the franchise, is what we're saying. You remember my father, Hernan Reyes. My father was a horrible man, very bad daddy. But I kind of liked him, and you took him from me when you stole our money and left us with nothing but suffering. That's what I came here for, to end that suffering. Oh, and I didn't take that money. Burned it. Oh, he burned it. That's wow. All right, that's 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 a that's a decision, Matt. Mm-hmm. Matt. So, can you like? Do they frame and hang scripts in the Louvre? <laughs> they should. That's, if that's they don't, can be done. I mean, this is obviously. I mean, are there ballots for the uh, Library of Congress? Because if there is, this is like a first ballot entry right <laughs> off the off right off the bat, Matt. I'm starting to think maybe you didn't care for Fast X. What is the film all about first? Wow. I mean, just like the last three or four of these damn things, um, a, you know, event or a person from the past comes back to haunt, uh, the Toretto team, the Toretto family. In this case, the son of a guy that they killed in which one was it? I don't even know. Six, seven. Maybe I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, but he comes back with a plan to make Dominic pay and the rest of his family play. And of course, Dom can't let that happen because it's all about family. That's right. Ah, <laughs> uh, Matt. Okay. I'm not sure where to begin. Mm. So. I did read online the other week that initially this was supposed to be the um, first of a two-parter that mm. would wrap up the franchise. Okay. Vin has since come out saying that actually it's probably going to be a franchise-ending trilogy. Okay. With maybe room for more. Right. <laughs> and then it comes out that they're interested in making an all-female spinoff. Sure. Because now we have, you know, Brie Larson has joined the crew. Mm-hmm. You have Michelle Rodriguez already. And then, uh, of course, Charlize is in this. But even then, another guy shows up. And we can do a little spoiler talk at the end Mm -hmm. that ignites the extension of another franchise within the franchise, potentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, Matt, I think that's part of the issue, right? So I understand that this is the beginning of, like, a final chapter that seems to just be very long. 
but it's like how do you have two and a half hours of story with almost like nothing really happens Mm -hmm. and then you dispatch a character and there's like no emotional connection with it whatsoever they try and make it some big emotional tipping point right and it's not it just it's i think everything else ahead of it just nullifies any emotional goodwill or connection we could have for the film i don't know matt am am i wrong is this just this franchise experienced a renaissance when Justin Lin came in, basically, right, and ran with it. Mm-hmm. And then we've kind of taken a weird, I don't know, we've gone the ro- down the wrong way on a one-way street, I think, for the last <laughs> couple films. Am I wrong, or are you happy to see this still rolling? Here? Uh, no, I'm not happy to see this still rolling. So this thing, it feels like it's such a long franchise, and it feels like... It thinks that its fans are super into the minutia, right? That, oh, look, here comes character X. We haven't seen him since the last movie. Like, who gives a shit? Like, I mean, it, this thing is just basically one, I, a little more than cameos, but, you know, they're just return callback after callback after callback when it's interspersed with these. Admittedly, as much as I wanted to hate everything about this movie, the action scenes were at least entertaining to watch, uh, but everything in between it, I mean, I didn't think they were groundbreaking, but I was like, all right, I guess I'm having a good enough time with this piece of it. But everything else around it is so inert. Even newcomers like Brie Larson is just okay. Like I, like she barely does anything. The one shining light in this thing is freaking is, is, um, my boy, Momoa. Uh, Momoa um, Absolutely. Who is just hamming it up to, and like, I loved every second he was on the screen because he's so much fun. And whenever he's not on the screen, it's like, to call back a Simpsons reference, where's Jason? Like, where is Dante? Like, I feel like that's what I should have two and a half hours of. Absolutely. I really feel like Momoa went to the Pierre Delacan school of acting. <laughs> I mean, if you liked Ben Affleck in The Last Duel, which we talked about last week, it's, yeah. it's, it has that kind of energy to it. And what I think I enjoy so much about Momoa's kind of mad treatise on what it means to be a man, right? You know, a man's man, even. And that you can really lean in heavy into the feminine and still be this just total kind of badass guy. Uh, I may have some concerns that they kind of maybe try and explain it away as he's mentally unstable, mm-hmm. but I don't think Momoa lingers on that. I think he looks at his character as some traumatic brain injury, kind of <laughs> freeing him to be who he really is. Right. And you're right. He is a blast in this thing, and he was easily my favorite part of it. It's an over the movie. The movie itself is an over the top superhero film, except the heroes are mostly the cars. And I think Manoa is basically Thanos. I mean, he's just this larger-than-life, unstoppable. And every time you think he's going to get taken out, he does a bob and a weave, and everything turns out to be exactly according to his plan. Mm -hmm. And he is just sashaying through this entire thing. And uh, I had an absolute blast, just like you every time he was on the script. But the problem is, everything else is just a master class in excess. And it's also rock dumb. Mm. And they're not just the lazy script. You have these forced interactions in fight scenes with like Charlize and Michelle Rodriguez. That Mm -hmm. thing is just, it's like, all right, well, we got to have them fight, right? How do we do that? All right. It's all just so patently poorly orchestrated to set all up these different action set pieces. And it just doesn't go anywhere. It's overplotted, and I don't know how you can have all this stuff happen when then in the end you feel like nothing's really happened. Right. It's just, I'm, I'm, I don't know if maybe we're just setting up for the big finales. I don't know. But that, again, Matt, what are your thoughts? And maybe we save it for the spoiler talk in this. Of the depth of that major character. I mean, it, it's, it, well, let's sit on it because there's a key component of that I think is what aggravates me so much about it. Hmm. So, I don't know. I think it's interesting that death means nothing in this franchise whatsoever. Right. right. Uh, so maybe I don't have to even be upset about it. You don't. You really don't have to be upset about it. I mean, all of this is all just 
scene setting for this upcoming trilogy. Um, whatever goodwill this thing got when Justin Lin, it's, it's all been wasted. I mean, yeah. Lin was supposed to do these and obviously it's much poorer for him not being there. And I just can't believe that a franchise that started out about street racing, about an undercover cop infiltrating street <laughs> racing, has turned into this kind of Mission Impossible light version with cars and meatheads. Like, I don't understand what the hell is this even is supposed to be. It's just by the sheer fact that this thing has lasted so long, it's come around full circle. Like... It became, it kind of became elevated trash and kind of fun. And now it's kind of all the way back down to a parody of itself where it's self-serious. You know, you're getting into this, like the 80s parody, right? People used to make fun of, like there was going to be a Rambo 8, uh, uh, you know, a Rocky 12, stuff like that. This is where we're at. This is where we have a franchise that's actually been going on for that long. It's going to have 12 films in it. 12 films with the same main character. I don't, I don't ugh. and he can't act. <laughs> Vin Diesel is like a slab of clay walking around out there. Yeah, it's I don't know if they should just treat it like a a franchise and title only, and mm-hmm. then let's just reboot and start over again. Let's get back to the core of of what this franchise was supposed to be about. But you're right, the superhero Mission Impossible esque version of this is just. I just, I can't get, I know it's stupid, Matt, but I can't get over the physics. Mm. I really can't. And I laughed out loud quite a few times while watching this. And I felt bad because I think there were people in the theater who were really into it. Mm-hmm. And he got this jackass over here just laughing his ass off. Every, like when Dom knocks that rolling ball bomb away from hitting a young woman and a baby in the carriage down the steps in Italy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I almost passed out because I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> it, it was just so ridiculous. But I think my favorite part, and I actually commented on this because uh, Jason of Binge Movies pointed this out on Twitter as well, mm. that when he opens up the Nas as they're getting chased by a fireball, mm-hmm. wouldn't the whole car just explode <laughs> at that point? <laughs> I don't understand how. Right. I mean, right. I just... You gotta leave your brain at the door. I and mean, this this franchise has basically become the embodiment of, hey, bro, can't you just turn your brain off and enjoy a movie? Right. Because that's its requirement of you. You right. have to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, listen, it's big, it's loud, it's stupid, and it has some nice car crashes, but nobody ever really feels like they're in any real. There's never really any stakes. There's never any real dire consequences. Mm-hmm. And when it does show up, because everything else, people show up all the time. They've been dead for four or five movies. So right. you don't. It, there's no resonance. Right. So right. let's. Do you have anything you want to add to that, or you want to jump into that? Because I want to talk about some of the spoilers. Yeah, let's. We can jump into the spoilers. I guess the only thing that I think could save this is in the twelfth film. Um, Dante hires John Wick to go take out all the family and he kills all of them. And then there's a final showdown with him and Vin Diesel at the end. And it would be, that's the only thing I could save it for me. Yeah. That would be as long as too, is Louis Slotier is, is not involved in right. the direction of that film. <laughs> Bring in Stolinski there and his yeah. uh, John Wick crew to basically yeah. take care of this. And maybe, yeah. Yeah. All right, so the big death, let's talk about it, is a character we just had introduced a film prior, I believe, mm-hmm. which is uh, Dom's brother there, your boy, John Cena. Yeah. He sacrifices himself to save his nephew, and it's really dumb and ridiculous <laughs> and, and does nothing. Right. It does nothing. Right. And... It just exists to add some stakes, and maybe Cena's like, "Listen, I got, I got to run the Peacemaker. I got to check out, man. I can't, you know, I can't be signing up for another film." Yeah. Or that really was just a poor cha- attempt to introduce some legit stakes in this series, where there's a scene, Matt, when he he Tom tells his kid basically, "Feel the car. Don't be afraid, and just go with it, or whatever." And he crashes into. Momoa's car or something 
And then like the centrifugal, the force where he jumps out and he's able to jump out of the window into his car with the doors open and catch him. And I'm just like, what? (laughs) How am I supposed to feel anything? If you're going to show me that, that that's the kind of thing that could happen in this universe. Right. How am I supposed to believe for a heartbeat? Or the fact that Gal Gadot shows up Mm -hmm. at the end. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on, on on the passing of John Cena? Of John Cena? Uh, yeah, I just think John Cena realized he's Jacob. better than this. Um, <laughs> honestly, uh, he's another one. He's kind of knows what he's in. He kind of puts on the charm, and he's charming enough uh, as he's on here. He's probably the the second most enjoyable per, you know actor in this, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And easily. He's, you know, he's being elevated and he realizes, you know what? I got to get off the sinking ship. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, please kill me. And I'm not coming back. Thank you. <laughs> well, it segues us into the big surprise. Oh, my God. <laughs> of a man who had verbally stated he was not coming back to this franchise. He had real clashes with the star, Vin mm-hmm. Diesel, and his work ethic, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and said he would not return. But I guess maybe, Matt, he's not too good. For the franchise, or at least basically having his legs cut out from under him after the failure of Black Adam. And then what else? There was something else that just did not do well. Clearly did do well since I can't remember. But Matt, who shows up at the very end there? My man uh, Hobbs, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He you know, decided, you know what? Maybe Rudy Poos aren't that bad. And he has to come back because... The Rock has to eat his, you know, has to eat his rice and cod every day um, to keep up with his massive supernatural wink physique at 50 years old. <laughs> um, that he, uh, you know, he has to he has to pay some bills. He has to he. The Rock's mouth wrote some checks that The Rock couldn't cash. Is basically <laughs> yes. what it came out to, and he had to sign up for this to get some get a payday. Yeah, so uh, I think that's what it's going to be. So Statham shows up again, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. He is the the titular Shaw and the Hobbs and Shaw, mm-hmm. and uh, he has to go save um, uh, what's her name there, um, Mirren, Helen Mirren. Her Helen, character supposedly yeah, gets right. kidnapped by Momoa, and Momoa as well also blames Hobbs for his daddy's death too. Mm-hmm. There's a whole separate thing we get at the end of the film, so that's why I think we're going to get not only two more Fast and Furious films, mm-hmm. we're going to get a second Hobbs and Shaw film where they do their own fighting against Momoa. Okay. I, I guess I'm assuming... I don't know if Momoa has a future in the DCU at this point because he's going to be tied up making goddamn Fast and Furious films for the next 10 years of his life. I, I'm putting money down now Momoa is coming back as Lobo. Somehow he is coming so? back as, yes, I think he, I'm willing to put it down now. The cryptic tweet about getting his dream opportunity, I think mm-hmm. it's going to be, I think he's would be perfect for Lobo. I don't know how Lobo will be taken by the audience at large these days. Um, he's very of the 90s, but I think he will be in the DCU. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. That would be fun to see. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, th- think of all the DCU cast-offs in this film, too. I know. So, yeah. All right. I mean, that's that's it. Rock's back. Gadot's back. Who's supposedly, again, who died previously. She's yeah. okay now. She got better. Kurt Russell is not in this one, but no. we get his daughter, Brie Larson, who yeah. takes over as a nobody. Is she a, a nobody, or does she have a name? I can't remember what to say. Uh, Tess, right? Is that Tess? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then um, Jack Reacher. Mm-hmm. Shows up as well as um, a bad guy. Spoiler: We're in the spoiler part, right? So yeah. you already knew that. So man, he—I gotta admit—he's a little more emotive and interesting than he was in that Reacher TV show that's on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Fair show enough. is a bit of a dud. Holy cats! Did you watch that at all? I didn't. I didn't. I know you're a fan of the Reacher, but I there's too much TV. I can't keep up yeah. with all of it. Yeah. So. Oh, then, and of course, Pete Davidson showed up, and I think I audibly booed. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. He's a good kid. I don't know what my problem with Pete Davidson is. <laughs> I enjoy his, um, what is it, his Dunkin' Donuts, his Wendy's, Taco Bell commercials. Taco Bell commercials, yeah, his breakfast Taco Bell commercials, yeah. I enjoy those. Matt, I'm giving Fast X, ooh, I'm going C-, minus just because I'm a MOA. Mm. Yeah, so when I started this conversation, I thought... I was going to give it a C minus because of Momoa, but I think I might, that might be too generous. I think I'm going to give this thing a D plus because 
There's not enough Mamoa to even elevate it into C status. Yeah, that's that's probably a fair statement. But uh, I'm gonna stick with my uh, your guns, my Nas, your 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 Nas tank, tank and your and your yeah, and your and charger. Flip the switch. <laughs> Drive a notoriously uh, shitty Go car. Zoom zoom in a Dodge Charger. That's it. Yep, that's it. What was he? Uh, what was Cena driving in that? Was it a, a Thunderbird? It like a Mustang. Ford? I'm Ford Mustang. That's yeah, right. Five point Yeah, like in uh, so society. Yeah, mm-hmm. understood. If you had a chance to see Fast X, just an email and feedback at thefirstrun.com. Listen, Matt, it's it's almost made back its budget. Not quite, but almost. And uh, we'll have to see the competition next week is what? It's uh, Little Mermaid. So we'll see if the folks come out for that. Mm-hmm. Feedback at firstrun.com. Matt, what's coming up on the physicals of the media's big, big, uh, big, uh, is it a big, big release of 4K? I own it on Blu-ray. I don't know if I'll upgrade it to 4K. But it's a great movie. Oh, madam, I see you're looking at my hands. Would you like me to tell you the little story of left hand, right hand, the tale of good and evil? It was with this left hand that old brother Kane struck the blow that laid his brother low. Them kids is yours? My own flesh and blood. Where's your missus? Uh, she run off with a drummer during prayer meeting. Where's she at? Down the river, Summers, Parkersburg, maybe Cincinnati, one of them Sodoms of the Ohio River. She took them kids with her? Oh, heaven only knows what unholy sights and sounds them innocent little babes has heard in the dens of perdition where she dragged them. Right funny, ain't it, how they rode all the way up river in a ten-foot john boat. Are they well, Miss Cooper? A sight better than they was. Gracious, gracious, you are a good woman, Miss Cooper. How you figuring to raise them two without a woman? Oh, the Lord will provide. The Lord is merciful. No, what a day this is. And there's little John. What's wrong, John? Come to me, boy. What's wrong, John? Didn't you hear me, boy? John, when your dad says come, you should mind him. He ain't my dad. Ooh, that sounds intense, Matt. The only film directed by Charles Lawton. Night of the Hunter from 1955, featuring one of my favorite performances of Robert Mitchum's entire career, uh, is being released in 4K from Kino Lorber. I had it on DVD, Matt from Criterion, and then I upgraded to the Blu-ray about mm-hmm. two years ago because it was going out of print. So I grabbed it. Right. And now Kino has put it out in 4K. So, but Night of the Hunter, if you have not seen it, is great. It has this weird, ethereal, dreamlike quality to it at times as well. And again, like I said, Mitchum is just a giant in that film. He's fantastic. Have you uh, seen Night of the Hunter? Uh, yes, I also have it on Blu-ray. Um, I picked it up probably on your breathless uh, recommendation to get it before it went out of print. So there you go. Good times. All right, Matt. So that's coming up in 4K. But let's start the countdown proper. Number five. Inside is being released. This is the one featuring Willem Dafoe. He plays a high-end art thief named Nemo, who becomes trapped in a luxury high-tech penthouse in New York Times Square after his heist does not go as planned. I thought it kind of fit in nicely because of our heist marathon. Include some deleted scenes. Four. Claire Denis' film Trouble Every Day about two strangers who share a strange and terrible bond in a stylish horror tale that juggles sex and graphic bloodshed. I've heard lots of great things about Denis' Trouble Every Day, and I've always wanted to see it. Mm. I have not had a chance yet, but it's coming out on uh, Blu-ray this uh, Tuesday. What else? Ooh, one-timer, Matt, for me. An incredible film, very powerful, very bis- very disturbing, but I don't know if I'm ever going to see it again. But. Get three coffins ready. Uh-huh. Irreversible. Gaspar mm. Noe's film featuring Monica Bellucci is being released on Blu ray. It's a two disc set, which also includes the. Um, I can't remember what it's called exactly, but it's the traditional. Because the film plays backwards. Mm hmm. And this includes the linear version, the traditionally linear version of the film as well. Okay. And uh, from what I understand, that version, it just doesn't have the same punch as... Uh, it doesn't have the same frenetic kind of feel to it that the original version does. And I don't know, man. I. It's one of those things where if you are a fan of uncomfortable art house cinema, mm-hmm. I think it's one of those films you should see. 
it's an emotional gut punch of a film. It's a riveting, uh, not riveting. I don't know if riveting is the right word. I don't know. I can't describe it. How, what would you, how would you describe Irreversible as an experience? Oh boy, that is a great question. I would say as a, as a DMT vision quest with the world's worst trip sitter is basically what this is. <laughs> Gaspar No is leading you down the hand into some dark, dark places. And it is, uh, Something that will change you when you come back out. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Matt, keep rolling. Looks like we're shy one horse. <laughs> you brought too, too many. Oh, I can hear the other point. I didn't hear it. I still oh, can yeah. hear it. It jumps right out at me now. Mm-hmm. That makes okay. me sad. Maybe I'll have to come up with another two. I think he gave me another option. I'll just track it down. So uh, number two, then, is Criterion is putting out in 4K and Blu-ray. Ridley Scott's Thelman Louise gets a brand new 4K restoration. Two audio commentaries featuring Ridley Scott, screenwriter Callie Corey, and actors Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. Uh, documentary on the making of the film, storyboards and deleted extended scenes, and more. And finally, Matt, this one's for you. I made it number one just for you. Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves is re- getting its physical media release. Film came out a couple months ago. Uh, I think a film I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Matt was super excited because he's a big, uh, what do you call yourselves, D&D head? Are <laughs> sure. You a, are you a dungeon works. master? <laughs> yeah, yes, I am. On occasion, I am a dungeon master. That's correct. Nice. And that's not in the weird kind of... No, not that kind of dungeon master, no. Gotcha. Yeah. I shouldn't say weird. I don't judge people. Leave yeah, don't, don't kink do. shame. Don't kink shame I people. Won't. That's fair. A mm-hmm. um, bunch of making of featurettes focusing on like special effects and then looking at the heroes, behind the scenes interviews, a gag reel, and some deleted and extended scenes, Matt. And then um, some other 4K releases. Rain Man is getting released in 4K. People Under the Stairs from Scream Factory oh, wow. in 4K. I remember seeing that in the theater and being underwhelmed, but it is friend of the show and former co-host Chris Esposito. I think it's one of his favorite horror films. Really? Interesting. Yeah, he loves that. Mm. Uh, the Last Starfighter is getting released in 4K. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember that one. The uh, Haunting remake with Liam Neeson and... Um, um, oh, I had it and it's gone. Entrapment. Mask of Zorro. Married to Michael Douglas. Oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones? Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't. I had Charlotte in my head. I think her name is Charlotte in one of the movies. That's oh, okay. But I knew it was wrong. And then, of course, of course, Cliffhanger, the Stallone classic, nice. is getting released in 4K. Nice. Your straight DVD pick of the week. I don't know if this is before Caviezel went insane, but <laughs> Jim Caviezel plays James Cray. He watched his wife get killed by Fargo, played by Colm Fiore, who's a hit-and-run serial murderer. After severely injuring Fargo and going to prison for seven year, several years, James is now determined to avenge his wife's death. He drives across country looking for Fargo's 1972 Cadillac Eldorado, which the now disabled killer has turned into a rolling death trap. James's search is held, excuse me, helped by a state traffic officer and a singer with her own agenda. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? In addition to coming out on Blu-ray or on 4K, Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves is available for streaming right now on Paramount+. Plus. So, you know what? If you can't wait to pick it up, give a gander. Go ahead and watch it. Watch it multiple times. Get those numbers up. I want another one of these things. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And hope you'll have to watch that show, that little spinoff show too, Matt, whenever that launches at some point. Oh, I didn't know there was a spinoff show. Yeah, I think we talked about it. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you when we talked about it. Okay, show, well, I, for, I forgot. I for, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot. I'm an old man. <sighs> okay. <laughs> uh, tomorrow is the launch day. We're recording this on, um, what is today, Monday? Tomorrow is the launch day for HBO. Excuse me, for Max. Yeah. We dropped the HBO. I still don't know, Matt, if I'm going to get my free HBO Max for life now. Mm-hmm. Um, they say that will be determined. I have to see. I have to wait. It's going to be a few months, and then my provider will let me know type of a thing. Good luck. Which um, I'm hopefully be able to sign up with some kind of class action lawsuit with somebody. Who mm-hmm. knows? We'll see how that goes. But I, I, I'm not excited about it. I don't care about the HGTV content stuff. I yeah. don't. Yeah. I think you're going to ruin, I think, what I think was the best streaming app out there. And it just upsets me. Do yeah. you have any... Uh, I mean, I'm never going to watch that stuff, but... You know, my wife and in-laws and sister-in-laws and all that stuff. They love that stuff. So 
you know, it, maybe it's not just all about us, Chris. You know, all that stuff can live together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, the problem is that the HGTV Plus existed, and it was like four bucks a month. What? So there's no, I have no, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to watch that stuff. Mm. I'm saying you had it already. Mm-hmm. Why do you need to ruin what I like? Now I sound like one of those assholes, like the quartering. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, but you don't have to go look it at it. You don't have to watch it on that. You can still just fo- focus it's on what that. you want to watch. I'm not upset that the, the content's there. Mm-hmm. I'm upset about the content that I'm losing. Okay. And I'm also upset about the, like, we, I'm not, I don't know if I'm speaking for Matt, but I, where I think I fully support like the WGA, the writer's strike and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And I think the SAG one look, looks like it may actually happen, which is good. And we'll see if the Director's Guild, I think it was the Director's Guild last time that undercut everybody and cost them a bit. Hmm. Uh, but they seem to be on board now too. There's a real seems to be a real sense of solidarity amongst all of the our uh, uh, artistic kind of Hollywood uh, unions right now. But I found out a real I realized red. I don't remember what it was, but the reason why all the stuff gets pulled, Matt, off the streaming services because they don't have to pay the writers anymore. Right. That's right. it. Yeah. Yep. And it's just infuriates me. So like like I don't know if I haven't watched Barry yet, and I want to. And are they going to pull it? Like, I don't uh, think all the successions are all the seasons of succession are on there. I don't know if they are or they won't be, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I haven't watched that at all. Yeah. Because what happened is I wanted to watch an episode of John Oliver. He was doing a crypto thing. And I was like, oh, I did crypto like four years ago. Let me look at that other one, too. Or watch that one. No, it's gone. Only two right. seasons are on there now. Okay. Yeah. I, that's a good question. I don't know what will be leaving. I can't imagine things like Barry that are actually have an active season that will leave uh, yeah. at this point. Um, but you're right. I mean, maybe really old stuff like, hey, you've been putting off watching Deadwood. Maybe shit out of luck. You may not be watching that anytime soon. That kind of thing. Yeah. I, I know. Too, I've never watched The Sopranos. Now, they say that will be on Max. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think Deadwood's on there now. Is, is it not? I don't think so. Well, I guess it's a good thing I have it on Blu-ray if I ever want to get around to watching it. Have you ever watched it or no? I've watched like the first couple seasons. I mean, not couple couple seasons. I watched the first couple episodes and then I pause it and I just never went back to it. And I, I keep meaning to watch it, but again, there's only so much time in the day. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. I've watched. I didn't watch the movie, but I did watch the whole show and I did mm. rather enjoy it. I got a weird Timothy Olyphant thing. I don't know if it's weird, but I do he's like awesome. Olyphant. Yeah, yeah, I like him when he's playing a cowboy too. Yeah, I cannot wait for that justified oh, uh, new season. Be nice. Hit. It's going to be awesome. So, All right. Enough small talk. Jesus, Matt, stop derailing me. Let's spend a few <laughs> minutes and talk about uh, Thief as our heist marathon starts to wind down. Sorry. So? So? So what? So tell me. Minions? No, thanks. So uh, what was it like? You know, a lot of money, Tucson... Mexico City, Bogota, drifting, you know, okay? Okay. It got twisted and ugly and empty. It was over already, but we kept moving through the moves. It ended very badly. Now I get up in the morning, I take a shower, I go to work, I have a job, I have a social security card, and my life is very ordinary, very boring, which is good. Because it's solid. Your marking time is what you are. You're backing off, you're hiding out, you're waiting for a bus that you hope never comes because you don't want to get on anyway because you don't want to go anywhere, all right? Do you have a license for this? <laughs> Tuesday Well, James Kahn featured here in Michael Mann's directorial debut, Thief. He did some television work, map, but this is his big screen premiere. Uh, it's a story of Frank, who is a jewel thief, and he's an ex-con, Matt. And he's basically set his life up. He does these quick little scores, gets some uh, cash in his pocket, kind of gets the satisfies that need for the juice, as they say on the streets. And um, what happens is he uh, gets roped into helping like a big time kind of crime bossy guy to do like a couple big scores, or at least a big score because he's mad. He's got a plan. He wants to settle down. He thinks he's found the right girl, and he wants to get out. So he goes for this last big score, and of course. Inevitably, as they always do, things go wrong, mm. man. And uh, James Kahn has said Thief is probably his favorite performance he's ever done in one of his favorite films. Particularly this favorite scene is uh, at least a portion of it we just played you as an introduction to this. 
Matt, how does Thief work for you as part of our heist marathon and in James Kahn's uh, OVRA, mm. or even Michael Mann's for that matter? Mm. Uh, what were your thoughts on Thief? Yeah, so I think this is a, a, a good entry to kind of get back on the, the ball with because the last two entries in this heist film marathon, despite how good the last one was, was not really much of a heist, right? Um, whereas yeah. this... Uh, you get the planning, you get the execution, you kind of get to see everything going on. And really, if you count the beginning, you get two in this, in this film. That's true. And, um, all that is, is like really executed really well. It's super cool. It's just, you know, like oozes 80s style. Like it seems very Miami Vice. It seems very slick. Um, and it's, it's really, a wonder to watch. It's a, it's so fun and nice to watch this thing. And you can kind of see the seeds of what Michael Mann's going to produce later. Like this is like heat 1.0. This is like the alpha build of, of heat before yeah. they kind of release it. in it's, you know, fully fledged state, uh, you know, a decade later. Um, I had a great time with this. I don't think it's necessarily without its flaws. I mean, there are some choices in it that I, don't necessarily agree with James Con. He seems a little too rough. I, I, sometimes I feel like I want him to be a little slicker um, in some of his acting choices. Not to say that he's bad, mm. but I, I, I sometimes he seemed too a little too much sunny for me um, while he's kind of doing this. And then some of it, I got I, I and this is probably just me being stupid or maybe just not picking up on it. Um, they're giving you all this kind of pitter patter background, especially at the beginning and. It feels like, sometimes it feels like, did I miss like a key piece of information? Like I was having trouble following it until you kind of settle into the groove of what you're watching. But it seems like it's something that you could, would really benefit from multiple viewings. But overall, I thought it was quite good. Yeah, this was a blind buy for me, I think from a Criterion sale, probably two years ago. Mm -hmm. And I had yet to watch it. So I finally was able to crack open that case. And uh, yeah, Matt. This, this is fantastic. I had an absolute great time. And I think one of the key things about uh, with Thief, in a way I think I respectfully will say I disagree with you in Khan's performance in the mm. film, is that he, his bravado and his uh, attitude towards life and, and people and friends, loved ones, women, everything, I think it adds to what man's doing, which gives the film this... How to describe it, Matt? There is a. It almost feels like illegal, mm. like it's a like a renegade film. Like there's an actual palpable sense of danger while watching this film. Something you don't get with Fast X, right? Mm. Entirely devoid in that film, and it the the film is so much more alive. I feel than like Fast X is. It just while this film is rolling, you just feel like at any moment things could spin out of control. And I think that's a uh, a real plus here for Man's direction. And I think Khan's performance. I think one of the key scenes in the film is that moment of human connection he has with Tuesday Weld in that diner. And they kind of go through. He finally decides, listen, I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to tell her who I am and tell her all about my life. And I'm not going to lie to her. And she has her own past. And the two of them kind of connect on that. And they try and build this life. I'm really just impressed um, just with the, with the, the, just the unrelenting feel and propulsion that this film has at, at a point, I never really, you know, you never knew what was going to happen, but you always knew something bad potentially was lurking around the corner every single time. And, um, it's fantastic. I think one of the things, there's two things that I may have had an issue with. One is first off, I'd say, I forgot there was a period that Willie Nelson used to pop up in movies all the time. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and he does show up in this. If there's anything, I think that man may kind of bumble that plot line because mm. I don't know. It doesn't really bring anything to it. Mm -hmm. I know maybe it serves as another isolation point for James Khan as things start to spiral out of control for him. Right, but in the end, I just think it's a little underbaked. I just think it it doesn't serve the film maybe as well as I thought maybe man thought it would. And the other thing too is that, and I'm going to stress this by saying from the get out, man, I'm wrong. Okay, I am. Very wrong about this. I think the palette of the film is too cold and washed out. Mm. I know that's not what man's going for. He's the artist. He's painting his picture. I'm a hack. I'm establishing that. 
but I feel like if this had a warmer palette, maybe a little bit more neon to it, you know, that I may have been, I, I don't know, I may have engaged with it. A, I don't know, more, I don't know if that's even an accurate thing to say. Maybe I just would have appreciated more if it was warmer. Mm. But I get, you know, I guess what, it takes place in Chicago, right? So yeah. I guess he wants to have that feel to it as well. I just think that maybe it's because of the influence of the Tangerine Dream score, this electronic score that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I think at one point, too, Mann said he was one of the go with some Chicago blues. But I think in the quote is here, I felt that the film, what the film was saying thematically and the facility with which the film might be able to have some resonance with an audience, I felt that it, to be so regionally specific in the music choice would make Frank's experience specific only to Frank. So I wanted the kind of transparency, if you like, the formality of electronic music, hence Tangerine Dream. And I think he's right. Mm-hmm. I think he's right about that. I think yeah. the uh, the score does elevate it to that that degree. And there's one little minor thing too that I really appreciate. I watched one of the interviews on the disc with James Caan, and one of the things he decided to do for his character, which I I knew something was weird about his cadence, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Mm-hmm. He does not use a single contraction throughout the entire film. Oh, interesting. It's I am, not okay. I'm. Okay. Right. It it is not not you know it's not. Right, okay. I, it just something was weird to me, and then he says, "Yeah, that's a decision he made to do," and they showed a little clip of it. I'm like, "Oh yeah, that was inter- that was a really interesting choice." Interesting. So, huh. I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, I think I will respectfully disagree with you that uh, I think the color palette is perfect for this. Um, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I said I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I think if you kind of gave it kind of this, these garish 80s colors and neon and an outrunner vibe kind of thing. I think it's perfect for this kind of seedy underbelly, people just kind of hanging out on the periphery of society yeah. kind of thing. I think it's it's a perfect choice. Although, and I think it would be just a very different film um, if you had a kind of very bright neon again, something very more Miami Vice uh, with pastel suits and, and stuff like that. I'm not saying go that far. I'm just saying it's it just it's just a cold film. And I just feel like there's some scenes, especially with the um what do they call it? The cetylene? No, that's not the right word, but the torch. Mm-hmm. You know, with the safe, even that with that insane amount of heat still it has a cold feel to mm. it, right? The whole film does. I, I get that. I know that's what he's going for. And again, I'm he was right to do that. He is correct. Mm-hmm. I just part of me feels like I wonder what the film would look like. With a different palette kind sure. of choice. That's all. Okay. That's all. Fair enough. Matt, um, the one thing, too, you don't really see anymore, Harry Bros in the beach. There's a yeah. scene where Khan doesn't have his shirt on, and that cat is... Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, into the 70s <laughs> and through, you know, most of the 80s, I mean, men were supposed to be hairy. I mean, they were... Maybe it was the more main like you were was was a okay with everybody that's it yeah and i will say one thing i did appreciate story-wise in this is that the things that go that go wrong are not the heist itself it's the kind Mm -hmm. of stuff around the heist and i think i thought that was a really interesting take on it that they're so competent in what they do that they of course the heist goes off without a hitch it's everything around it that goes off without a hitch that derails you know his life yeah the stuff he can't really control Mm -hmm. yeah Exactly. So, well, all right, there you go, Matt. A for Thief. I give it an A. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to give it an A as well. Yeah, I think we've had a pretty successful heist uh, set of heist films so far. Yeah, I mean, we're so we're both the A's at Rafifi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dog Day was A's. Thief is A's. The only issue we have is Italian job. Yeah. Which I gave a B, you gave a C. Yeah. Silly. It's way too silly. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and we'll wrap it up next week with uh, Dead Presidents. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, our marathon awards. So we'll have to figure that out. So it'll be what? Director, film, performance, and then obviously best heist, mm-hmm. right? Would have yeah. to be one of them. Yeah. And then uh, the problem is, too, looking at it, I don't know. Usually we try and do like a best actress again, but man, these films are very male centric. Yes, they certainly are. Well, maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll get a, a, a good choice on Dead Presidents. We'll see. I haven't seen it, so we'll see. Yeah, neither have I. So if you've had a chance to see Thief, which, you know what, I didn't even look it up, Matt. I'm not sure where it's playing. Uh, I know it's playing on Hoopla and Canopy. Um, okay. If you have access to either of those services, it's also playing on Freebie, which is like, I think, the Amazon like free with commercial streaming service. 
All right, there you go. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Okay, man, let's close everything out and talk about our five favorite movie families. Oh, I should have pulled that uh, that meme of all the guys that look like Vin Diesel just saying mm. family over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one that didn't make the cut for me, and this was a painful one. Been showing off a bit, haven't you, son? Um... I didn't mean to show off, Pa. It's just that guys like that Brad, I just want to tear him apart. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't. Yeah, I know. You can do all these amazing things, and sometimes you think that you will just go bust unless you can tell people about it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, every time I get the football, I can make a touchdown. <laughs> that's for sure. Every time. Yeah. I mean, is it showing off and somebody's... Doing the things he's capable of doing. Is a no. bird showing off when it flies? No. No, now you listen to me. When you first came to us, we thought that people would come and take you away because when they found out, you know, the things you could do, and it worried us a lot. But then a man gets older and he thinks very differently and things get very clear. And there's one thing I do know, son, and that is you are here for a reason. I gotta tell you, Matt, Glenn Ford's delivery of that, everything becomes very clear. And one thing I know soon is you were here for a reason. And just, and just the delivery of that has stuck with me like my entire life, mm. and I have no idea why. Okay. And then when he collapses from the heart attack and dies right there, and that kid who's playing Clark, I apologize, I don't know his name there. It, it's just fantastic it's such an emotional moment for me of course that's such a huge film on my life uh superman obviously from 1978 matt the kents are an honorable mention for me go ahead kick us off who is your fifth favorite family movie family i should say all right so my number five is uh the rivera family from the pixar film coco oh it's a good one the young boy, he decides to travel to the uh, land of the dead to ultimately come in contact with one, of, with one of his ancestors and has one of the most tear-jerking moments with his uh, great aunt uh, at the end where he sings her a song that he brought back from the dead that is heartbreaking. <laughs> it's so it's so goddamn sad, Pixar. But yeah, it's a good they're they're a good set of families. They're they're good people. There you go. I have a similar uh, affection for this family, though I haven't watched this film in a very long time. But unfortunately, they met with a really kind of tragic end. Mm. And all they wanted to do, Matt, was kind of just keep their house to themselves. But then these really kind of yuppie people move in and then cause all kinds of havoc. But they have an interesting little goth daughter that they kind of take in as well. So, of course, I'm talking about Barbara and Adam Maitland and, of course, uh, the aforementioned daughter, Lydia Dietz, the family in Beetlejuice. Mm. And I'm very excited that they announced the sequel. Um, there are a lot of interesting casting choices on that, too. So that I'm looking forward to that one. But um, I've always been a big fan of Beetlejuice. And Michael Keaton, of course, is fantastic in that. But Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Winona Ryder. And uh, it's so funny because when I think of Alec Baldwin, that role, he's it's. I think it's a real example of his kind of range. That and like Miami Blues. The mm. fact that that's the same guy right. just blows my mind. So um, you kind of forget that because he became 30 Rock Alec Baldwin to me, mm. you know, and of mm. course, all the stuff that's happened lately. But uh, still, I, I, had, I gave it to uh, Barbara and Adam Maitland. All right. Um, so my number four then are a family that is dysfunctional, but they love each other and they're trying to fulfill their young daughter's dream of getting her to the Little Miss Sunshine pageant, um, along with their depressed uncle, who is the world's foremost Proust scholar, and that's the Hoovers from Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, Steve Carell, Paul Dano, Tony Collette, uh, Abigail Breslin, uh, Greg Kinnear. They all, obviously, they fight. They do the best they can. They are inept in a lot of ways. They are messed up in a lot of ways, but they all kind of come together, especially against outside forces, which I guess the best families should do. There you go. That's sweet, man. I haven't seen that since it came out. Mm. I remember some complaints being about it, too, that basically it was like the indie darling, but purposely so, right? It kind of was mm. the uh, one of the first films to really kind of go for that on purpose. Right. Cynical, but maybe true. 
So, all right, my number four then is a also a very very dysfunctional family, but after the uh, patriarch dies, everybody kind of comes together and they have these flashback moments where they think about their father who is just a lout, just a bad dude, but still um, kind of made them who they are. And of course, I'm talking about the Tannenbaums, mm. and of course, Gene Hackman as Royal Tannenbaum, and uh, again, a film I have not watched Matt in a very long time. I think I only own it on DVD. The Criterion DVD is what yeah, I have. Me too. That's been that long since I've watched that thing. But I just remember finding that film hilarious. I think it's f- former co-host Dave. That's his favorite film. Favorite film ever. Interesting. Yeah, he loves Royal Tannenbaums. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But I had to give it for Gene and uh, and the rest of the crew for uh, Ben Stiller. Who else was Ben Stiller? Gwyneth Paltrow. And uh, then... Luke Wilson. Um, Luke Wilson. And... Um... Danny Glover as the stepdad, and then Angelica Houston as the mom. Yep. So there you go. The Tannen right. Bombs are my four. All right. So my number three is a set of horrible people. But you know what? You can't have a discussion about family without talking about the family. And mm-hmm. that is uh, the Corleones from The Godfather. Obviously a bunch of murderers and thieves and just all around despicable people. But watching that dynamic and watching those... Uh, siblings, at least in those first two films, is just a masterclass of acting and regret. And poor Fredo just can't catch a break. <laughs> He's smart, you know. He's he not like everybody says. But he knows stuff. <laughs> you can't you can't talk like that to Mo Green, Matt. Mm-hmm. So my number three then is uh, the McFlies. Mm. Nice. Marty and his uh, brother and sister, and what happens is... Have you ever seen Back to the Future, folks? Are you aware of this potentially, I think, I dare I say, perfect film? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Back to the Future, and then I think subsequently the diminishing... I have, you know, I haven't seen the third film, though, since it came out. Mm. I can't even remember. I remember they go to the old West. That's yeah. all I can remember. Yeah. Uh, but still, that first film is a bona fide classic. And uh, just Marty desperate to get back to his family, get back to his girlfriend, and save basically his family from breaking apart. Um, and also, also trying not to sleep with his mother uh, <laughs> because of her pursuit of him, not yeah, something right. he's yeah, weighing not... decision about. Right, right. Yes. This isn't a taboo. So, uh, yeah. But that scene when he's playing the guitar and looking at the picture and his brother or his family, he's starting to fade away right at that point. Yeah. Uh, and then it comes back. And, ah, oh, such a great little moment. Such a yeah. great little film. So, little film. The McFlies are my three. You know, to digress here, we should we should list what we think are perfect. What, what are what we consider the perfect films are. So, mm-hmm. I think we have some overlap. But I'd be curious to see where we may differ. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Well, my number two then is the Tannenbaums. Um, it was the first thing I thought of when we were looking at this. Um, yep. It's my fav- favorite Wes Anderson film. Obviously very dysfunctional. All between their neuroses and their depression and their you know, conning of each other and everything else. But it is a fascinating look at this kind of you know, messed up family of, of geniuses and, and people who are um, broken down by their talents. And it's all um, you know, very weirdly heartwarming to watch and and fun at the same time that's a good pick yeah uh, yeah that's obviously that's a very good pick <laughs> um well then my number two then just like you did to me or i did to you i guess it's the corleone's mm. mm-hmm. so uh just godfather obviously I, you know i haven't seen the uh reboot of the third film was it coda but uh, I still need to catch up with that. But still, the first two films obviously are classic films, and uh, you never, you know, you never cross the family. Uh, they love each other, but they're willing to do what they need to do as well. If mm-hmm. somebody steps out of line. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I don't know what really to say. Just yeah. riveting family drama against the backdrop of the Italian mafia and uh, a man desperate to hold his hold his family together. Uh, no matter the cost. So, uh, yeah, there you go. That's my number two. So close this out, Matt. All right. I, I'm wondering. I think we have the same one. We must. We'll I don't see. know. We'll see. All right. So my number one then is in the spirit of what kicked this off and the uh, Dominic Toretto quote unquote family that they can't stop talking about. But this set of films is really about the family that you make for yourself, the ones that you find along the way. You ignore the ones 
that you necessarily are born with, but the, the, the family that cares for you because of who you are. And I'm talking about the guardians of the galaxy as my number uh. one family. Um, obviously that's been the through line of the entire thing. It's, uh, Sometimes a little on the nose, especially with some of Yondu's speeches in number two, but it's a comic book film. It's not necessarily known for its subtlety, but uh, the whole idea of a found family and people that you can make a new life with, I think, is, you know, an important one, especially when we're com- this is inspired by Street Racers, who became a super agent superhero family. There you go. Yeah, now honorable mention for me. Not my number one. And what's funny to me is when you were talking about that, it just occurred to me, my favorite family was only a family in one film. Mm, okay. And uh, I'm like, what, does that really count? I, I guess so it does because I love it so much. And that, of course, are the Joneses. Mm. We have Indiana and his dad. Yeah. So you have Harrison Ford, Sean Connery. Though I believe if I'm correct, they were like 12 years apart in age yeah. at that point. Yeah. <laughs> But still, you have uh, Henry Ford, Henry Henry Ford, Henry Jones Sr., and then Henry Jones Jr., uh, Razor of the Lost Razor. What the f- You know, folks, I am so tired. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I had Raiders, I, Raiders on my mind because I was playing it today while I was making dinner. Because I got I'm, I'm getting excited to be disappointed by the Dial of Destiny. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that first film, Matt, another one, perfect film, Raiders of the Lost Star. Yep, Check. that's another one. I was going to mention it as well, yeah. So, but yeah, the Joneses, this interaction, the interplay between the two of them, Connery and Ford, are fantastic. They totally sell it. It is a lot of fun watching the two of them on screen together. The uh, weird, funny love triangle with the, the Nazi lady, too. Just lots of fun and enjoyment stuff. So, the Joneses are my number one, Matt. What are some honorable mentions for you? I actually don't have any honorable mentions. I had to really stretch to kind of get to my five that I even have. All right. Well, I got um, the elves, is it, from Elf? Oh, yeah. Will okay. Ferrell and, and his dad, James Caan, or yeah. even uh, Bob Newhart, I guess, was his kind of surrogate dad in Elf. I have the is it the Uticus, is that it, the Black Panther, T'Challa. Oh, okay. And Angela sure. Bassett and the rest. Um, we're talking about the Kents. The Griswolds, at least for a couple movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marches from Little Women, mm-hmm. uh, the Wangs from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Here's one I thought might make your list: The Goonies. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, then another finally, family. I, there you go. And then I have the Connors from the Terminator franchise. So that's a little, yeah. What? Well, here's my last one: The Torrances. <laughs> Yes, that is a solid family dynamic. <laughs> I'm not saying you should emulate all of these dynamics. It's true. I knew the Tannenbaums out here, for Christ's sake. And the Corleones. And the Corleones, exactly. So there you go. What's your five? What's your favorite? You don't have to give me five. Just tell me one. What's your favorite movie family? We'd love to hear it. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, what's coming up on the big show next week? So looking at the schedule, it looks like we've penciled in air. And we're nope. going to wrap. No. We've updated that. We're oh, going to okay. do how to blow up a pipeline. Okay, very good. We're doing How to Blow Up a Pipeline, and we're going to wrap up our uh, heist marathon with Dead Presidents. There you go. Unless Matt does talk me out of it and he wants to do air instead. Well, I don't know. I do want to see How to Blow Up a Pipeline. That was supposed to be very, very good. Mm-hmm. It is. But air is supposed to be very, very good, too. It is. Life is hard. <laughs> Check us yeah, out at thefirstrun.com. Do a, so you find an archive of all the old shows, find the report card, which I yet have still to update, I think, for the last two months. I'm going to have an intern do that, I think, maybe. And then, where are we? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, you'll find us. Head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Help other people find the show. I'm, I promise on the next episode, I will have a little more energy, Matt. I was up last night until 1245, almost 1. I could not sleep. Really? I don't know what it was. And then I was up at 630. Wow. So it was uh, yeah, a bit of a drag of a day. Mm. So I'm going to stop recording now. And then uh, I do I do a, a little thing. Was I'll pull the clip. I'll suck out all my excess hissing and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Then I'll get your audio. I'll sync them. And then I'll save it. And then I go to bed. And then I start editing the next day. Very nice. And the key to that, folks, if you're doing a podcast, 15 minutes a day, if you can pull it off. Mm-hmm. Or you could do it like when it's my turn. I just sit down, 
you know, an hour before Chris needs it, and I just do it all at once. <laughs> 15 minutes a day over four days could be after about an average of about an hour, and you're good to go, and that's it. All right, I'm going now. I love you very much. We all do. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. You're my best friend. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. It's showtime.